Now, if you have your Bible in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 8, and you're able to stand, let us stand in reverence to the reading of the Scriptures. Now, if you'll listen fast, I'll preach fast. Amen? And so look with me, if you would, please, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, the great faith promise text of the Bible. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wait of the grace of God, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, having great travel fiction, the abundance of their joy, and the deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. In verse number four, he says, Praying with us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Our fathers, we bow before you this morning. Our hearts are elated at the goodness and the blessings of God. Thank you for the wonderful special this morning, the choir singing. Lord, thank you for meeting with us in Sunday school. Lord, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit of God moving and working in hearts. I would ask you now that as we come before you, Lord, help us not to forget to be thankful for the answered prayer, even this morning. And I pray, our Father, that you'll move in the hearts of your people. God, I pray that this would be the greatest faith promise missions conference in the history of the church, in that your people step out by faith and sacrificially give for the sake of missions. Help the tithes and the offerings of the church to increase. And I pray, God, your blessings upon your people and upon your church. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. As we consider the matter that is at hand, last night I took our main text out of the book of Philippians in chapter number four, and again we spoke on the ministry of money and missions. And as we consider the subject matter, there are three levels of giving. Now, I'm not going to be redundant by retracting the old past that we went through last night, but just to summarize very briefly and bring us up to speed for those uh, that were not able to be here yesterday evening. Uh, money in the Bible is very clearly taught as to why we have resources, why we have funds. The Bible said, let him that stole steal no more that he might have to give. And he talks about working with the labor of our hands that we might have to give, uh, give to him that hath need. And when the Bible commands us to give of the tithe, it is insinuating that God has blessed us to the point that we all have something we can give back to the Lord. As we heard in Sunday school this morning, it may not always be finances. Uh, sometimes it might be tangible items that God has overwhelmingly blessed us with. And sometimes it's not that God blesses us with such financial resources. Sometimes God blesses us like he did the children of Israel. Uh, their shoes didn't wear out for all the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, sometimes uh, Johnny doesn't go through as many pair of jeans as he would have normally. Uh, sometimes God will allow the vehicles to go a few extra miles. And some of these things we'll not even know until we get to heaven. We'll just take for granted that if we get a quarter million, 300,000 miles, whatever off our vehicle, we'll just take for granted that the quality was put into the construction and the development and the building of those engines and vehicles. Uh, we'll just take it for granted. But when we get to heaven, I'm persuaded, Brother Thomas, that when we get to heaven, that we'll stand before the Lord and the Lord's going to say, you know why you got that many miles out of that vehicle? You know why you got that many uh, miles out of your shoes and things? of that nature, I believe the Lord's going to say, it wasn't because of the engineering that went behind it. It was because of my grace and my providence interceding on your behalf, because of your love for me and your sacrifice. Now, here in this passage of Scripture, we see that God is speaking to the church uh, through the Apostle Paul's ministry, the church at Corinth, and he is using the 
Macedonians and the church at Philippi and the other churches in the region as an example uh, to this church. Now, we have dissected this uh, particular chapter verse by verse and word by word in years past, so I'll, again, I'll not be redundant with it. But I do want to say this. There are three levels of giving in the Bible. Notice in our text, if you would please, in verse number uh, three, after the Bible says that their deep poverty abounded and the riches of their liberality, he said, for to their power. And for to their power is a financial term. It is dealing with the resources that they have control of. It's not dealing with what they don't have, but it's dealing that to their power. It is what they have tangible in their account or within their access, their reach, their grasp that they could give to the Lord. And so to their power, they gave to the Lord. And then the Bible says beyond their power. And so to their powers, dealing and reflecting to the tithes and the offerings. That's what we have access to. That's what God commands that we tithe off of. And as we tried our best to very vividly and clearly with the Bible, go through from the Old Testament, even beginning in Genesis all the way, and bring it into the New Testament, that the Old Testament tithe was established and brought into the New Testament, according to Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, as Jesus said, these things ought you to have done, and not to have left the other undone. And the things that he is talking about leaving undone was their tithe. And so Jesus uh, brought the tithe into the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9 very vivid and very clearly lays out the purpose of the tithe in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was to supply the needs of the Levites and the priests and the workers of the tabernacle and the ministry of the, of the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, according to 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul said that it was used that a preacher could, lay, uh, could eat or could could have his needs met through the labor of his gospel ministry, the spiritual things that he ministered in the New Testament. And so we find the correlation, and as we mentioned, he carried it over from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And that's the introductory of giving in the Bible. I want to say this this morning. If you are not tithing, you should not be involved in world missions and evangelization if you're going to move your tithe over uh, to the missions. Tithe belongs to the church. And I want to say this this morning. And I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but I'm not apologizing for my message either. And that is that every Christian ought to tithe. There's not a single person in this uh, auditorium sitting on the sound of my voice to what God hasn't blessed you and given you something in which you can give back to him. And it's a command. God said a tenth belongs to me and that's the tithe. That's 10%. And if we touch that, will a man rob God? Uh, we're in every rob thee, said you've robbed me of tithes and offerings. And it is estimated, I didn't give this last night, but I'll give it and I'll move on quickly. But it's estimated in America on an annual basis that just in America, that the average church or Christians nationwide, those who profess Christ, it's estimated that Christians in America keep back $165 billion, not million, billion dollars a year on tithe that they rob from God through his ministry. That's a tragedy. And as we consider the matter, and we looked at the matter, I believe with all of my heart, according to Malachi, that God puts a judgment. He closes the windows of heaven upon those that rob of him of his tithes and offerings. And I'm not uh, preaching a prosperity gospel, God forbid. I'll get into my text momentarily. 
But I believe that there's a lot of people today that is working two jobs, three jobs, the husband and wife's working, the children are working, and you're doing everything you can to get ahead. But if you're robbing God of, your tithe, of his tithes and offerings, you're going to find you'll, you'll never get ahead. Because God will stay the dew in the windows and the blessings of heaven. And so we find that, and I can give you a testimony. I was in a church, it's been several years ago, and the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart as a preacher. I said, I'll tell you what this morning, you begin to tithe, you give offerings and missions for one year, and if you get to the end of the year and God hasn't overwhelmingly blessed you, you let me know how much it is and I'll pay it back. Peggy's eyes got that big, and when I got done, I, I said to her, I said, that was a, quite a statement, wasn't it? I said, I just felt impressed the Lord say. She said, it's more than a statement. How are you going to pay it back? I said, I don't know. But, you know, someone contacted me at the end of the year and said, Brother Ellis, I appreciate that challenge. I didn't do it because of you, but my heart was stirred, and I started giving my tithes designated to the Lord, and then I started giving offerings uh, to the church and the special projects of our church, and then I stepped out by faith and went above and beyond and began to give a little bit in faith promise missions. He said, we have never been blessed so in all of our life with our finances because we were obedient to the Scripture and the Word of God. And so I say to you this morning, the second level is offerings. The offering is not your tithe. The offering of the tithe is commanded. The offering is out of a free will of the heart. It's out of a love and devotion to the Lord. And so when you take up special Bible money offering or special offerings for a, a project around the church or special offerings to a missionary, as I said last night, uh, that's above the tithe. That's, and really the tithe, the only blessing with the tithe is if we have robbed God of our tithe and in Malachi, they paid their back tithe. And that's why they were blessed. They were obedient to God. But the offering is where you get into the blessing level because it's above the tithe. It's out of a devotion to the heart. It's out of the normal giving that you give. And you're stepping out on a limb, if I could put it that way. And that's where the blessings are. And then there's the missions offering, the faith promise missions offering. And notice, if you would please, in this passage of Scripture, notice, if you would, the churches of Macedonia, they gave according to their power. They gave uh, their tithe, and they gave off. He said, yea, and beyond their power. And you know what that means? They went beyond their financial abilities. You say, now, how in the world can you give above your financial abilities? I mean, you only have so much to give, so how could you give more than that? Well, they had learned how to tap into God's resources. And that's what Faith Promise Missions is all about. The truth of the matter is, if all we as God's people would get hold of the principle of Faith Promise Missions, and that is to tap into God's unlimited resources and to know that God owns a cattle of a thousand hills and all that is is His, and He can order the at His command. And the Bible said, The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, He turneth it whithersoever He will. And do you know that God can move on the heart of your employer? God can move on the heart of your business? and those that you're associated with. I had someone a while back that said to me, said, Brother Ellis said, our business was struggling. We're at the point of, and the brink of almost having to close the doors. And I thought to myself, if it's going to close down, then I'm going to honor God with what we have. He said, I begin to step out and, and give exceptionally and, and go above and beyond. And he said, all of a sudden, I started getting work and phone calls. He said, now, Brother Ellis, I'm overwhelmed with the calls that are coming in. He said, in fact, I'm having to refer him to other people. I can't even take care of all the calls that are coming in. And God had overwhelmingly supplied his needs. And so the Bible says here in this passage of scripture that they gave beyond their power. 
And so this morning, let me very briefly just talk about uh, money and missions on the faith promise level very quickly. And that is, if I could say this this morning, and you've heard it many times, God will be a debtor to no person. You cannot outgive God. It is impossible to outgive God. You know why? Because everything we have comes from God. Everything we have uh, comes from God. And our preacher this morning, by the way, I made that very clear and vivid in our Sunday school hour for those that were here. And so everything we have belongs to God. And the Macedonians were poor and persecuted and they didn't have much. But they stepped out and made a commitment and they sacrificially gave even above what they had. And you say, well, how does this thing, faith promise, work? Well, a tithe is commanded to God. The offering is what we give on uh, individual offerings. It's not necessarily an offering, something that you give continuously, although it can be like your Bible funds and others you took up this morning. But it's out of a genuine heart and you may give a dollar today, and you may give $10 next week. You may give $100 the next week, but offerings may vary because it's out of the love and sincerity of the heart. But the Faith Promise Missions offering is a sacrificial commitment that's made on a regular basis. And you say to God, by faith, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to commit this much to you on a monthly basis for world missions and evangelization. I want to give you an Old Testament example, if I could, of a couple of things, if you would. Uh, notice first with me, though, though, if you would, please, in the book of Luke, chapter number 16, we have an example of a steward in the Scriptures. And here in this passage of Scripture, in verse number 1, he said, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him, that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg I'm ashamed. I'm resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, Notice he acknowledges his abuse of the stewardship position. They may receive me into their houses. And so here we have a very vivid biblical example of a steward. And so what is a steward? What is, what is stewardship? You see, when you and I, if you own a debt on a car, or you have a debt on a home, or properties and lands, or other debts, whatever they may be, maybe a college debt or whatever... The truth of the matter is you get resources and income and those resources are yours. You can choose to set them aside and discipline yourself to pay your bills and to pay your creditors or you can choose to abuse the resources that God's giving and you can spend it on yourself and spend it at will and then when the time comes, you'll not have the resources to pay your debts and your creditors. It is in your power and within your will to do as you please with your funds. But that's a debtor. You and I are not debtors, you and I are stewards. You say, preacher, what's the difference in a debtor and a steward? A debtor is free to do whatever he wants with his resources, 
but he is required by law to repay his debt and pay his creditors. But until that time comes, he can do as he pleases. A steward comes from a word in its etymology, its original meaning. It's a two-part word, meaning the house or the law. And it's literally referring to the law of the house. And so what it literally is referring to is simply uh, put simplistically is this, that a steward has no ownership. A debtor has ownership. He receives the funds and resources and he is indebted to pay back his creditors. But when he gets his resources, they belong to him and he can choose whether to pay or not to pay. But a steward, that's not so. A steward, he owns nothing. A steward is the law of the house. He is merely taking care of the resources that belong to someone else. And you and I are stewards. Everything we have is on loan from our heavenly Father. The shoes on our feet, the socks on our feet, the shirts on our back, the pants on our waist, everything we own is on loan from God. We own nothing. Therefore, everything we have in our possession belongs to God and we have not been given the biblical authority to do with our belongings what we please. But we are given the command of God to do as He wills and as He pleases. And I don't have time to get into it all this morning, but may I say to you, every single penny that you and I have and our possession is on loan from God. There's a man, and I'll not mention his name. He lives in Cleveland, Tennessee. During a storm, when it came through and done tremendous damage in the area, uh, took down literally acres of trees as a tornado tore it down. And someone went to him and knocked on his door and said, Sir, we'd like to be able to cut those trees and give them to people that are without power, that needs electricity. It was in the winter when the storm came through. And he said, no, they're not having, getting anything of mine. He's an extremely wealthy man. He said, if they want something, tell them to go work for it. That's how I got what I got. They said, but sir, even Job, with all of his wealth, gave. He said, I'm not Job. And Job was a loser. Job had no idea what he was doing. He said, I'm far better than Job in the Bible. He said, let them freeze and let them get their own means. And it wasn't too many months later till his massive empire began to crumble. And he said, I'm greater He had failed to understand the principle of stewardship, that he owned nothing. It might have been under his name. It might have been under the accounts of his name and his bank and his possessions and all of his Roths and IRAs and all of his investments. But I say to you, my friend, everything belongs to God. And God at will and random, all he has to do is speak the words, and by sunset, we can be broke. 
If you don't believe it, go back to the Great Depression. We heard about that in the closing of our uh, Sunday school class this morning and just study of the thousands of people that were wealthy and rich that failed to acknowledge God in their finances. You say, preacher, you're trying to make me feel bad. No, I'm not trying to make you feel bad at all. I'm just simply saying this. We have to come to the place that we understand just because it's in our name does not mean that we possess it. Everything we have belongs to God. And here this steward was called into accountability because the owner of the property that he oversaw and that he had within his possession, he acknowledges that he hasn't been a good steward. He said, because when I'm put out of the stewardship, he knew what was coming. You may be sitting here this morning and you know in your heart that things are not where they should be with God. I challenge you this morning, get it right, whether it's your tithe, your offerings, or your missions. In the book of Haggai, in the Old Testament, I want to read a passage of Scripture, and I'll close with this this morning. Haggai chapter number 1 and verse number 3. Then came the word of the Lord unto Haggai the prophet, saying, well, let me back up to verse number 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And here's what has taken place. Israel has been taken into captivity. And they are coming out of captivity, and they have, if I could put it for lack of better terms, they, it's kind of like they've struck a deal with God. They said to God, let us build our houses, our homes, and our lands, and when we get them completed, we'll build you a house, and we'll take care of the house of God. And God, in the Scripture, it's implied that the Lord allowed them to do that. But they said the time has come that the Lord's house uh, should be built. And then in verse number 3, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O you, to dwell in your sealed houses in this house? Lie in waste. And the word sealed, without going through all of it, and its etymology, it really is talking about this. It's talking about extravagant. And he's not saying that he don't want us to have nice houses, homes, and lands. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home, a nice vehicle, nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with that at all. As long as we don't allow our possessions to possess us. And that's the problem with finances in, mo in a lot of Christians, I should say, today. It's not that they have great possessions or that they have even some possessions. The problem is the possessions possess them rather than them possessing them for God. And so that's what had happened here. Their possessions had taken hold of them. And so we find that they had sealed houses, and it's referring to a decadent or elaborate houses, and it's not that God didn't want them to have nice homes and, and even go a step above and beyond, but it's the fact that they did that. They, they made them decadent and elaborate by stealing and taking God's tithe and God's money and spending it on their own selves. And notice what he says. 
Oh, you to dwell in your cell houses and this house lie in waste, speaking of the house of God and the work of the ministry. Now, therefore, saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And when he says consider your ways, he is saying to them, I want you to take inventory. I want you to take stock. I want you to go back and calculate, and I want you to understand what you have done. And God gives them an opportunity to audit themselves. Because he said, consider your ways. He said, I want you to consider. I want you to get your pen and paper. I want you to go back, figure it all out, and you'll see the error of your ways. And the word consider your ways is mentioned twice here immediately in our text. In verse number 7, it's used also, and then later in, in the scriptures. Notice, if you would please, you have sown much and bring in little, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, uh, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Have you ever got to the end of uh, the week or the month and your salary and you're thinking, boy, we've got overtime this week. Everything's going to be good. We're going to have a little left over. And if you're not honoring God with your resources, you're liable to get to the end of the month or the week. And all of a sudden, all the extra, it's gone. Or something's broken down or something's happened. And it's absorbed the resources. And here in the case of Israel, they have not... Accidentally, it's not that they can't give an account of it. They know where it's gone. They have spent it on themselves. God said, I'm pulling an audit on you. And I want you to consider your ways. He said, you work, you labor, and you eat, but you're never full. You work, you labor, and you bring it in. You're thirsty, and you drink, but you never have your thirst quenched. And you know, a person, if I can say this this morning, you say that's an odd message to preach on a Sunday morning. I agree with you, but I'm following the Lord. You know, a person that is spending resources on themselves and never giving to God's work and following biblical principles in their resources and finances, you mark it down and listen to this preacher. I know by experience, over 45 years of preaching, that individual and that family will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Never. You'll always have to have more. I've been to the mud huts with thatched roofs and dirt floors of Africa and seen them when they literally did not have anything and it was a great sacrifice just to provide a hot Coca-Cola in the hot sun around the equator and to give to us and drink it and it foams and fizzes in your mouth and it's hard to get down and have a meager uh, boiled egg and that is a great sacrifice to them but they're happy in the Lord. They have a smile on their face and they're jubilant because of the blessings of Almighty God upon their life. They didn't have anything, but what little they had, they willingly gave to God, and they were overwhelmed with joy and blessings. To the person who's lost their family because of their addictive work behaviors, and I understand sometimes we have to take on second jobs if you're in employment to meet the needs of family. I'm not bashing anyone that does that. But I am saying that sometimes people that are so involved in themselves, that everything they get, everything they sacrifice is to get more toys, to get more to feed the flesh, they'll never be satisfied because the flesh can't be satisfied. 
And so we find in verse number 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the house. He's talking about his house. And I will uh, take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called, watch this, God said, I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, upon all that labor of the hands. Now I'm not going to take time to go through all the scripture. What we find is here that Israel had basically began to take all of the extra that God gave them what they needed to meet their basic needs. And you know God's promises in the scriptures to meet our basic needs. Food, raiment, and clothing. Back in 2000 when everybody was scared that all the computers were going to crash and everything was going to bankrupt and the earth uh, financial system was going to collapse and go out, uh, somebody said to me, said, well, Brother Ellis, what are you going to do if it happens? I said, I can't change it anyway. I said, I've got a tent. I'll take the family out in the woods somewhere. I'll find a place to stake it out and, and we'll make it somehow because God in his providence has promised to never leave us and never forsake us. And you know what came and left and nothing ever happened? And the great collapse, oh, the great depression, many survived. And I was talking to someone a few years back. And they said, Brother Ellis, we were so poor during the great depression. We didn't even know there was a great depression. We was already poor and living on that level to start with. Great collapse, or what's known as the Great Recession in 2008. By the way, while I'm there, let me just share this, and I'll start wrapping up. You go back from the end of World War II when Christians on average nationwide only tithe or what they consider to tithe, they average about 2 to 2.5% of their income given to the Lord. And if you go back with the money that's robbed of Christians in America from the end of World War II all the way up to 2008 when the Great Recession hit, and you figured up mathematically on the average year by year, you know how much it equals out to? Right at $8 trillion. You know how much disappeared out of the economy in the U.S. in 2008 and the economists still haven't pinpointed where it all went to? Would you like to take a guess? Eight trillion dollars. As if God said to America, that belongs to me, I'm taking it. And God sucked it out of the economy. I'm just simply saying this morning that there is the tithe, there is the offering, and then there's the mission offering. And if we're robbing God of, our, of his tithe and we're robbing him of that which we have promised to him, and I've said it repeated that probably every year I've been here, there's only three ways a church can increase their missions. And that is, number one, there has to be some new involvement. Some of you sitting here today may say, I don't have much and I pay my tithe and I help with the offerings as best I can, but I'm going to step out by faith and make at least a little commitment to God and I'm going to make a commitment to world missions and evangelization. This is where the blessing is in the fruit. You step out, you've got to be some new involvement. Secondly, there has to be some renewed involvement. Every church I've been in, there's always someone who had financial reversals, something happened, and they, for whatever reason, or maybe they just reconsider the matter after they make their commitment, and they back away from their faith promise offering. 
And the church sets a budget based on the commitments. Then when it don't come in, others are left to pick up our slack. There has to be some renewed commitment. But I'm going to pick up my faith. I'm going to step out again. I just trust God for something. Peggy and I were in the state of Wyoming years ago. And we're getting ready to go out of town on a missions trip. We only had $50 to make a 2,000-something mile trip. And I told her, I said, I don't know how God's going to provide, but we'll make it to our first meeting. We'll just let the Lord provide as we go. And we were getting ready to leave, and we got a call from a prisoner's wife. that said, uh, Mrs. Ellis, would you and Brother Ellis stop by my home? And we went in, and she had a little crate that we set on for a chair. She didn't have a couch or a comfortable cushioned seat or any, not even a dining room table uh, or a chair for the table. We went in, and she had nothing. She had pictures torn out of magazines with toothpaste, and that's what the prisoners use for glue, put toothpaste on the back of them and plastered them to the wall. She had them all over her house. Peggy asked for uh, something to drink and went to the refrigerator, and there was a baby bottle and I think a small thing of water, I forget, but it was basically practically empty. And she said, God has impressed in my heart to do something for you. I don't know why now, but she said, I've been doing my best to save my pennies, and the Holy Spirit's impressed in my heart to give those to you. And she went to the back and got a crayon bank that stood probably about, I don't know, two and a half, three feet tall, and it was about yay big around, and it was in the shape of a Crayola crayon. And she handed it to us, and it wasn't full. It had maybe 10 inches or so, pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. And she said, I don't know how much is in here. She said, but God's impressed on my heart to give it to you. And I'll be honest with you, we didn't want to take it. I've learned, I've learned over the years to take the offering and lay up treasure in heaven on their behalf. And we took those resources and we were able to cash it out before we left and we made that entire trip and came home with more money than we left with. That's God. And then there has to be some new involvement or increased involvement. You that have been living by faith and you've seen God been faithful over and over and over again, May have been tight. I've been a missionary 37 years. January the 30th of next year, Miss Ellis and I will be 38 years as a missionary. Went out with $125 a month full time, trusting God. And I want to be honest with you. The cupboards, the cupboards have been low at times. Time or two, there was only a few crackers and a little bit of peanut butter and a couple of other things. But you hear me this morning. God has never, ever failed. How about you? Is God calling you to take an inventory this morning of your finances and your resources? Is God dealing with you about your missions? As we pray, our money belongs to God. May we pray and seek him as to what he would have us to do with it.